0: Hi, my name is Anthony Simone, and this is The Yen Podcast, and you're listening to Entrepreneur's Island, which is that island that many entrepreneurs and small business owners place themselves on because they're convinced their problems are unique and no one can help. This podcast is all about sharing those problems, those very common problems, and offering solutions. I'm here with Brian Gru- Brian Gruner. That's right.
1: I'm here with Sony owner
0: of White Bicycle. And uh, Brian, for the listeners, could you please explain White Bicycle and just give me a little history about White Bicycle so that people understand what that is and why you named it that?
1: Of course. Well, there's that's two questions. Uh, White Bike is a brand design studio. Um, we are 12 years old and really uh, for me personally it's uh, an outgrowth of my own career in buffalo advertising Um, but we were formed really around work that i was doing with uh, anna DiFranco, righteous babe records and others in the music business Um, so a proper design studio um, doing everything from packaging to identity design work Um, it really grew from there Um, you know we became two people Kyle Morrissey joined the team uh, pretty early on, maybe six months into it. Uh, and our growth has really followed the opportunities that we've had. Uh, and um, this brand design studio is really a description of um, our focus, uh, really centered on design, but has grown into being uh, more of an advertising agency, working with Ted's Hot Dogs to the Birchfield Penny Art Center. Um, we do a lot, we've done a lot of work with 42 North. Uh, the business plan competition, uh, and all kinds of projects worth uh, project work in the not-for profit sector, um, et cetera. And our team's grown to now six people, and um, we're located in Larkinville, right on uh, the square. Um, and I are really I think poised uh, to continue to grow uh, in the coming uh, months and
0: years. Excellent. Thank you very much for Thank sharing you. that.
1: Thanks for having me as part of your podcast series.
0: Hey, I, I'm, I'm very appreciative to have you for, for, for many reasons. Um, one of them, we want to talk a little bit about the importance of having good, up-to-date, accurate accounting and reporting and the importance of that. And, and you to maybe share what you've learned from that, and um, and also just understand a little bit more about the industry, the brand design industry in the in the area, in the country. A little bit more history about you, things like that. I just great, like to uh, like to dig a little deeper. That sounds great. Into that, and there's probably something that people, a lot of people, I guess people who are close to you know this. But a lot of people probably don't because you, you don't tend to advertise this too much is that you are a winner of the Grammy. That's correct. That's correct.
1: Uh, I can tell you that I rush <clears throat> when anybody brings that up, especially this early in a podcast. Uh, I rush to, to remind them that I'm a six-time Grammy nominee.
0: Uh, Six-time Grammy
1: right. nominee. That's right. One-time One-time winner. Time winner. Uh, <laughs> my uh, f- my kick did not go wide right. I won the first one. Uh, oh, yeah, that's... Nice. Um, uh, I think that is... Uh, well, it's personally gratifying and exciting. It's also kind of lightning striking the same place. Um, not twice, but six times. Um, but I also attribute it to... Uh, maybe a broader philosophy and approach to how, um, well, maybe the role of design, period, but certainly the, the role of design and packaging as it relates to music. Um, there were things that we were doing, especially in my work with Righteous Babe Records, that we were doing for uh, her records, for Ani DeFranco's records, um, that kind of went against the grain of the music industry at that time. Um, they were making packaging flimsier and cheaper um, at a time when small independent labels were trying to reward people for buying them by making it cooler and layered with more value to it. So it was really about finding a niche with a product um, that cut in the direction uh, cut in a direction that was opposite of where you know uh, the mainstream was was headed. and I think the industry and the Grammy recognition was as much of that, that yeah, if you're going to make a product and sell it, it should be something that people will value and want to have. Um, I think that for me personally that work has always been about trying to take something intangible about music and make it tangible, to try to take something that was um, really created for one sense you know, listening to music and sort of feeling it through that and translating it into something you could touch and hold and sort of flip through. Um, I love that kind of work, but I also I also get the business piece in that, which is make something that people will value and want to own and they'll buy it. Um, if you make it sort of cheap, they'll download it. Um, so yeah, uh, that that is, I think I mentioned how White Bicycle started. That was the inspiration for White Bicycle to continue that kind of work. Um, but, um, you know, for me, you know, my, you mentioned, uh, in all of that, um, you know, the, uh, idea of financials and clean data, uh, not like me to turn the conversation back in that direction. Um, but really I think it's helpful in understanding, um, where, uh, White Bicycle is at in its development and where I'm at personally in my own develop as a development as a business person. I came to this business as a creative person, as a designer. um, Worked as an art director and then a creative director in the advertising world. Um, But really was never what I would sort of self-describe as a business person. At least I didn't view myself that way. And yet I started a business uh, grown out of what I was doing creatively. And you learn along the way that there's more to that (laughs) to that uh than just yeah you make these decisions you know there's a whole acumen and a and an understanding that needs to inform and drive that it's probably why we're together talking about this
0: yeah yeah so when you won the grammy that was before white bicycle
1: yeah so the the grammy stuff uh overlaps white bicycle or you know it was work that i was doing Really, as a moonlighter, uh, freelancing uh, record packaging design, while still working in the advertising world, um, and you know that was the first couple of those. Uh, the one that the one that we won was um, around uh, you know around t- just maybe a couple of years before White Bicycle started.
0: In, so that in must earnest. have been really exciting to uh, to during that time frame when you had all of the success going on with your designs and, and being nominated six times, I, yeah. you know, I mean, clearly was that a string of years too? Was that just like it was a consistent four in
1: a, four in a row? Wow. Um, you know, I think, uh, Oh, four to Oh eight. And then, uh, again in 10 and again in 13. So, um, we're due.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, are you, are you still doing work with, just different musical talent uh, yeah at it, you and, know, and you know what who who did you win what did you win for we
1: won for uh Franco's record called evolve yeah and uh there like i said there were four Andy Franco records in a row that were nominated um and you know i think a couple of them in musical categories too really just great records all around uh and then uh a few years after that it was with um, an artist named Anais Mitchell, um, did a really just awesome record, uh, that sort of had a folk, it was a self-described folk opera. Mm. Uh, and then again later, just a duo of musicians, songwriters from Geneseo, New York. No kidding. Uh, so that was an interesting, that was totally a, uh, David and Goliath type of situation. I think they probably sold nine copies of that record, but, wow. um, the packaging concept was, was cool. Um, it definitely, I think those things started to distinguish themselves more on, you know, concept than production. Maybe is is the way I would describe it. So, um, yeah, I mean, to your <clears throat> to your question, really wildly exciting, um, definitely challenging in terms of, hey, what should we be doing as a as a company? Should we push all in on the music packaging, um, you know, work or should we diversify in other ways? And I think the decision made itself. Um, Music packaging, there, I think, is a lot of work in New York. There's a lot of work in California. We've done some of that work on a project basis. Um, I think we could be more active um, in that world, um, even not being there, even from Buffalo, but um, I'm not sure that work the, some of the compromises that you make with you know, some of the major label work is not uh, particularly interesting and is not the kind of thing that um, you know gets you Grammy nominations and things. So we've been more selective with the kind of work that we're doing and frankly have found uh, more satisfaction and more exciting uh, design work coming from independent projects. So artists who are just, they want to make something cool and they maybe have seen our work Uh, by admiring other artists records and things and um, it's grown that way so probably doing maybe two or three um, record packaging projects a year uh, more selectively okay Um, and generally speaking ones that have a bit more meat to them Um, so for instance this year uh, we worked with a band called Darlingside they're a Boston independent uh, kind of folk rock band, um, and just did really exciting work together with them. And then uh, this is this year we did uh, what's our second um, uh, design for the Errol Garner Jazz Project. So, mm. jazz legend, um, you know, there's uh, just a trove of music in his archive, and there's a uh, a group that has been um, sort of systematically going through and, and unearthing this stuff. And that's the uh, the project that we've just completed. came out in, in mid-July. And it's just a brilliant record. I mean, talking about a jazz legend.
0: Do they find you or do you search for, for them?
1: Um, yeah, I think I will. I'll jump back to that business person notion. Um, White Bike has subsisted really largely on referral uh, on a referral basis. Um, we haven't really gone hunting for um, those sorts of projects, and I, th- I suppose the good news is that we've done uh, well and have attracted some really exciting projects and some gainful projects um, that way. Um, but no, both, uh, both of those, I mentioned Ani DeFranco and I mentioned Ineas Mitchell, and uh, the work we had done with both of those artists were responsible for these two projects. Uh, if I remember the stories right. Um, somebody was a big Ani fan who was working with the Errol Garner Jazz Project, and when they were going to put out a deluxe package, they said, Oh, what about the guy who did these things? And they called it Bicycle, and um, you know, it went from there. Same with Downside. Um They were on tour with Anais Mitchell or doing shows with Anais Mitchell. So, um, yeah, that's the way that music business can work. I think it probably could work other
0: ways if we put the right, you know, effort into it. So how many, how many brand design companies were, were podcasting? This is Buffalo, New York area. How many brand design companies, if you had to guess, exist around here?
1: Um, yeah, that's a, that's a simple question with a
0: kind of a nuanced answer.
1: Um, brand design, uh, is, combination of words that are often used together I mean we self-describe as a brand design studio um, because of a very distinct way we understand what that those words mean in combination Um, I think if you just look at the landscape in Buffalo specifically there's branding agencies um, and folks who really try to focus on you know uh, really brand strategy through identity Um, I think that there are Uh, no doubt just advertising agencies. I think we look at ourselves as kind of a a real hybrid between them Uh, and I think being a design studio what distinguishes us is that um, our core, all six of us are are creatives Um, there really isn't a sales or account management team that um, sort of is a tier between the creative process and the client. Um, I think that's pretty unique Um, I don't think it's a bit more of a freelance model where somebody's wearing all the hats, and it's an outgrowth of White bicycles starting as, you know, one, and then you know very quickly after that, two, two designers. Um, but up until uh, more recently, we hired Megan Walker uh, as a copywriter. Um, that's the first time there's been somebody really as a non-designer uh, part of our team. So um, I'd like to say oh, we're the only one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that's probably true in the way I've described it. Um, but we sit really in the middle between, you know, smaller branding agencies and you know larger advertising agencies, um, doing the kind of work in a unique way that that each of them are doing. But really, in a model that is um, something that works well for us, and I think really works for our clients as well. If you flip that and really talk about the. Not just the value we intend to deliver, but really the experience we intend on delivering. Our clients get to work directly with the people who are going to make, ultimately, make the expressions of their brand um, that they're that they're hoping to see emerge. So you know that direct connection and that collaboration, I think, is a is a pretty exciting combination for them. They there isn't a tier that is sort of diluting their desires. it's really going right into the ears of the people who are going to make it.
0: But clearly when you're, uh, or maybe it's not clear, but I'm assuming that when you're bidding a proposal, you're competing against other competitors. There's yeah, other competitors out there. So if you had to guess, even though it may not be the same type of company, how many agencies are there that you feel are competing against you? Uh yeah,
1: that's a great question. I should have a, a quick answer. You know, there's probably uh, on the agency side, you know, sort of on the proper agency side, probably seven or ten, really, I think, you know, fully articulated agencies. And then on really the small, the, the sort of uh, practitioners hung a shingle, created a team around them. There's probably another, you know, seven or ten of those. So, really, it's a marketplace. That I think is kind of defined by 15 or 20 companies, and I think you know then there's all, you see, I don't know whether this exists in other markets, but you just see a lot of independent contractors being much more competitively successful. I think the clients in our business are much more comfortable working with a you know two per, two person shop than they were certainly at the beginning of my career. In the last 20 years, certainly in the last 10 years, that has evolved much much more rapidly when white bicycle started which was in 06 um, I my answer would have been much quicker yeah there's we there's nobody you know on our yeah. side of it there's yeah. maybe two or three companies of our of our size and shape and probably you know 10 again of those larger agencies maybe 12 of those larger agencies and the market has just grown as Buffalo has had its resurgence and so you see a lot of different dynamics
0: yeah so you're saying maybe 20 2030
1: yeah. Yeah, that seems right. Okay,
0: so how many, how many of those twenty to thirty, have an owner, who's won a Grammy? <laughs> uh, that would be us. Yeah. Best in the world. Which makes you back to yeah. your uniqueness. Yeah. So why, so why is it that when I go onto the website, I can't find anything about that, on there? There's a cowboy answer to this, I'm sure. You know, we're all about the
1: next project. Uh, You know, um, it's probably, you know, I think as you get further along in the business, especially when you try to build the business, there's pretty good questions, um, you know, regarding, you know, whether uh, all humility is false humility. (laughs) Um, You know, I think in a sense, um, I don't have a good answer for that. I'll put it up there today. We'll put a big it picture needs to be up there
0: I, I, hey, I hey, still hey, want hey, to it. see it we're sitting in your conference room and I'm yeah. looking at at least 10 different trophies or awards yeah. or whatever and they're all nothing <laughs> oh and, and now you're opening up a whole they just, shelf those are of the ones other that, ones that are just sitting I'll brag for a second those are the ones
1: that just wouldn't fit in the thing here yeah um, and they're all
0: meaningless. And then, all, and then we have a Grammy. Where is the Grammy? These are uh, you Where's all, the Grammy?
1: Uh, the Grammy used to hold Q-tips in our bathroom, <laughs> and uh, I think my wife oh, my uh, goodness. got something at Pottery Barn that she liked better, so it's on the shelf. It's on home. the shelf. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's awesome. I'm sure it's great I'd love to see it I like a kid at Christmas I like the box that it came in better than the Grammy itself it was some kind of laser-cut protective foam thing which to me has always been the real did you save the box oh gosh you got the box I like it yeah the box I'll bring in can
0: I can I see a can you can you you do me a favor when I when I put this podcast up I want to have a picture of you yeah with the Grammy and the box. You got it. <laughs> or you maybe a it. picture of you with the box, and then yeah. also a picture of you with the Yeah. Cram. Cram in the background box, I'll hold. Yeah, it. there you go. Like I, a winner. I think like that a winner. That's,
1: that's, uh, that's Yeah, I, I think that uh,
0: the, I... By I, the way, does a nominee, do you end up with anything as a nominee? You do. You get a medal. You get a medal.
1: You get a medal, and there's a nice, uh, you know, kind of they do some fun things for the nominees on the... Grammy weekend nice it's all it's all pretty downtown it's nice That's, um, so sure. uh, yeah I think um, the awards are really gratifying and like I said early on I think that the Grammy stuff is I've, I've, as I've sort of processed that over you know just historically I look at it and think yeah that is re- rewarding as much business philosophy as the design piece itself. And I take as much pride in that as anything that, you know, as a company making a product, um, we were doing something that was special and different and valuable to people and the industry recognized it. Yeah. And you know, realized that, yeah, if people are going to still buy records. It's going to be decisions like these that make the thing worth having and holding and looking at. And so I, I think that we take the same philosophy in all of our work, um, music business or not. If you're going to make a brochure; it should be something that is an experience worth worth diving into. Um, so, so much disposable stuff in in the world, you know, that is well intended and really well conceived and well executed, but if it doesn't have some, you know, clutter-busting coolness about it, then you know it just gets lost in the shuffle of all of that. So, right. Right. Um, I think those philosophies sort of are universal to the work we're doing.
0: Yeah, so then maybe you should put the Grammy up on your website because I, I I would assume there's a lot of value in that if 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 a if a potential customer is trying to compare and they see that you're a Grammy winner, that's certainly gonna set you at a whole different level. At the least, they're gonna remember you
1: to all of the faithful listeners, in D Simones, you are the expert now, universe out there, I will say, regardless of what you need from a brand designer, we will just make you a rock star. That is absolutely it. We will turn your turn it. your project I, into a rock and roll product. I love it. That, that should be the mission
0: right yeah. there. there. There's your vision That's statement.
1: It. Don't care what you're doing. You could be just... An accountant I presume only accountants listen to your podcast.
0: We make you rock stars. <laughs>
1: that's it. That's all that's that's the that's the uh, the implied promise. We'll be explicit
0: about it. We will make you Grammy winning rock stars.
1: We we will make your of your yeah, industry. That's correct. Your <laughs> brochure will be a rock and roll record.
0: I, I love it. All right. I, I, and and we'll and we'll send it to you in a really nice box. Continue to teach. That's it. That's laser <laughs> cut. Laser cut box for sure. Oh my goodness. Yes. Brian, what were some of the inspirations that helped you decide that you wanted to be a designer?
1: Um, you know, I think like anybody, I'm sure there's just a whole lot of nature and nurture to that. I mean, I was always just predisposed that way as a kid when we were playing like Nerf baseball in the street and stuff. It was as important to me before we started playing that everybody have a uniform that I had designed on nice (laughs) Um, when we played knee hockey (laughs) I had to be masking taping the logo of whatever teams we were pretending to be on the center of the of the quote unquote ice surface very cool I mean I was always a visual person you know I'm sure that's just part how I was raised and part how I'm wired Um, but the music thing you know and the Grammy thing is a good example of um, you know uh, those influences because music. I grew up as just a big fan of music. My father is a big jazz fan. We always had music in our house, and I was an early adopter of music in my life. I mean, at, I was buying my first records at eight, eight, or nine years old. I would make money painting the fence, and then I would go to, you know, two guys or Cabbages or something, and you know, buy a record, um, and that was the visual schooling for me it was seeing the way music was packaged and seeing the artwork that was trying to capture some part of that music or some part of that lyric and translate it into something visual um and i think you know when you consider uh, an era where people were buying records buying vinyl you didn't have a turntable in your car so when you went to the record store your first impressions of that record We're going to be the visuals. You're going to look at it. You're going to hold it. Very different now. Your first impressions is something you hear streamed, or more often now, something you heard on a commercial or on the, you know, end credits of a TV show. Um, But at that point, you heard something maybe on the radio. But you know, before you heard that record, you were looking at it. And um, you know, uh, for me, I grew up a rabid Rush fan. So if anybody knows Rush's catalog. Um, you know, one of the things that is really unique about it, every record had a different brand almost, different way of, you know, uh, typographically presenting the word Rush and a different, different layers of concept that reflected the lyrics. To a 11, 12, 13, 14 year old kid, that was just, you know, just like a design class. Um, so I think I was inspired as much by the stuff I was looking at to try and communicate in that way. And so when it came time to, you know, find a course of study, all it took was like a D-minus in calculus, and I was on my way to the art department, (laughs) Um, and that was it. Um, So it was, you know, and I think that traces of that are in our work for, you know, businesses. Um, Certainly, it's what motivates the work we're doing in the music business
0: yeah so you uh you shared a little bit of a a rush story with me and i would love for you to share it now it's a
1: fanboy story that has a you know (laughs) a really kind of gratifying ending um and it has you have to imagine you know your favorite band and having this sort of desire to kind of next level your relationship with them and um as i mentioned to you or off mic um Probably when I was older than I care to admit, but early in my 20s, Rush was coming through Buffalo, and I stalked Neil Pert at the—he's the drummer from Rush and really responsible for all their lyrics. I stalked him at the Hyatt Hotel, and had this what I envisioned to be a uh, a really awesome meeting where I was going to get to ask him a couple of good questions and shake his hand, and it just turned into an autograph session where I. Went away, somewhat shunned by the guy, um, and when the Grammy, you know, uh, nominations got me to L.A. and you know to the Grammys, I found myself coincidentally at one of the award shows that Neil Pert was going to be at. He had been nominated, um, you know, in the instrumental category, and as a voting member, I had seen that he was nominated and actually voted for. You know, got to vote for one of my heroes. Um, which was gratifying in and of itself. But when my wife and I were preparing to go to the show that year, I had an opportunity to meet the guy again, to kinda sort of meet him in a different context. And um, yeah, I was pretty keyed up about it. Um, went uh, to the Grammys and immediately found myself uh, uh, in a contact, I'd gone to the to the men's room and coming out of the men's room, I kind of cross paths with him and clammed up in the same way that I clammed up, you know, uh, when I met the, met the dude at the Hyatt and, um, you know, sort of made it my mission in this kind of reception before the Grammys that year. I'm going to just meet this guy and talk with him. And, um, you know, I think after flirting with the idea for, you know, five or 10 minutes, I finally decided I just didn't want to interrupt the guy. He's notoriously, you know a private person I just felt like it would be such an intrusion and I would probably be pissing him off as much as I did when I um, met him at the Hyatt at 12 in the morning <laughs> anyway when I uh, finally decided I'm just going into the theater and we're I'm done with this I just told my wife Darcy go on in I gotta I gotta talk with this guy and found my way across the room and I was headed right for him and about closing in I'm about five or ten feet away from the guy and I just chickened out and peeled off to the cheese cheese and cracker station (laughs) and was just looking down at the cheese and crackers and going, man what is wrong I just can't find my way to talk to this guy you know he's too much of a hero or something and uh, suddenly I felt this presence next to me at the cheese table and as I'm eating cheese I look over and Neil Pert has decided he also wants some cheese. And I don't know whether he had seen me coming over and wanted to let me off the hook or whether he just really legitimately wanted a couple more cheese cubes before he went <laughs> into the show. But I figured it was destiny at that point. I'm supposed to have a conversation. And so that was my that was my Grammy moment of meeting Neil Pert and I got to have a conversation with him and you know what came out quite naturally and quite comfortably was you know just the story of what i just told you about being a kid looking at rush records and being inspired into a career in design by that kind of work by that kind of you know uh tangible you know representation of this intangible thing that i loved about the music and we had this great conversation about his role working with their art director in you know developing these concepts and making it and he seemed gratified that he got a chance to talk about something other than drumming and Mm. and lyric writing and you know was able to talk about it so yeah it was this amazing moment where you get to meet one of your heroes kind of as a peer um, as a fellow nominee we both lost that day Uh, he (laughs) he didn't win I didn't win so we have that in common um, well, and,
0: and cheese
1: yeah cheese apparently <laughs> apparently well-timed pre-show cheese uh and yeah so that you know that was you know gratifying and I I was making those connections um you know this is a huge leap and for the benefit of your podcast it's a huge leap there are those things and I think that there are those levelers those things that Everybody has in common. I think that the numbers in a business is one of those levelers where you wow. can say, "Look at that! Yeah, bringing the bad, numbers right? back, very nice." But the level, one of those levelers, levelers in the business where everything is black and white and equal, um, and you get to you know see things in a much, you know, much more uh, you know eye level, eye, in a in eye level way. Um, you know, if you start to look at the numbers as something more fantastic or something that is you know a bit more voodoo, like I think I had for years, you know, it's, it's that way, but let's not spoil the point. I've nice. Neil Peart twice.
0: Very once, nice. You know, Very once nice. was awful and once was wonderful. You started off, you're uh, nominated for a bunch of Grammys, you're winning Grammy, a Grammy and, and you're, uh, moonlighting this, uh, just this, this branding work that you're doing. Right. Which then turns into. A full-time business and you said how many years ago so it'd be 13, 13 in January so yeah we're 12
1: and a half well, years congratulations old. Thank on you.
0: that thank you very few last beyond 10
1: that's what I hear very I've, few. I've, I relaxed a little when I heard that oh yeah. good we've, yeah we made it past 10 yeah it's interesting it's an interesting journey to go through that um, and go from being just a pure practitioner with a lot of people I, I mean the, I always have used the analogy of having people sort of fill your plate, set your table to having to really do that on your own and create the opportunities, um, you know, around, uh, the, the core of the work you're doing. It's a, it's a pretty violent transition at, at times, but, yeah. but also really exciting.
0: Yeah. So you, you have, uh, recently we've been working together for, how long we've we been working together for at least a Good year. year. Yeah. yeah, and and so you have, um, and we started off with more or less business coaching sessions, I guess. Correct. Yeah. And 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 sort of uh, some strategic planning. However, uh, a lot of the strategic planning was difficult, uh, considering that the uh, financial information wasn't really up to date and right. accurate and right. and so that was always our starting point and uh, recently we brought uh, a bookkeeper in to help clean that up right get you up to date how has that changed the way you run your business so far
1: yeah I think to be complete about it going back over the course of the last year and I will it's really over the course of the last two years I will uh, enthusiastically plug UB's University of Buffalo's uh, CEL program. Um, I think that Center so, for Center, Entrepreneurial Leadership. Right, right. Um, I think that was a program and a decision that I had flirted with for a couple of years. I think probably, uh, I don't know, you know, um, eight years in, so maybe four years ago. Uh, or so I maybe mean, five years ago. I, I probably look at the move here to Larkinville. We were on Main Street near the medical campus for you know the first seven or seven and a half years of our existence. And I think it was around that time where I started to really widen out my view uh, of white bicycle. Um, I think our priorities were to really build a brand around doing the kind of quality design work and really having the kind of relationships. Uh, that we envisioned um, to really carve out our brand, um, to be a brand that was quality first, etc. I think when we had established that, maybe not not when we had established that, um, but maybe because we had established that, because we had been successful, um, I think the very obvious next step, or at least the really enthusiastic next step, was, hey, let's see if we can start to shape the business, and we looked at some of our competitors as well that were emerging at that time and being really successful um, strategically by developing a business plan that was really obvious to us looking from the outside and that became my focus Um, that's when i started to flirt with the um, CEL program and uh, it just took me a couple years to really uh, uh, realize that i needed to do something like that as a as a business person um, to really put myself through it you know i i was a design student in school and have only really held creative positions in my career so you know, there are just a lot of aspects of being a business person that i you know just was kind of remedial yeah um so yeah the ceo program was the foundation for that you know you flash forward to a year of really being able to um the way i've described their program is it's like taking your business through uh, a MBA program as opposed to going through as an individual. Yeah, it's a great program. It's a great program a and a that's where you and I program. met. Um, yeah. I met you as a speaker really laying down some fundamental concepts in terms of understanding your financials and using that data to help make um, you know, decisions. And what I've discovered too is helping make decisions that aren't disassociated from the kind of brand sort of uh destiny decisions that i was more interested in i wanted to see if we couldn't kind of take our our experiment next level if you will yeah and be better at what we're doing and to do some of the things that you've already hinted at in this conversation you know to go hunting for the exact type of project that we want to work on or that we feel is in our sweet spot um, it became suddenly evident that yeah you really have to understand the dynamics of your business to be able to kind of chart those new courses, um, and I think that's what my follow-on work um, after finishing the CEL program, um, I realized, okay, yeah, uh, we may not have the firepower on our team to actually uh, shepherd some of that work, and um, you know, we don't—we're not really a large enough company to hire a full-time CFO. So really, that's what our work with you has represented to me is having a quarterly CFO to help chart our course and and you know to really have us focus on some things
0: um, that we had just been focusing on. Thank you for that. I I, uh, I'm curious when you first started your business 13 years ago and then you finally concluded that you needed you were missing something and that's why you decided um, or you moved uh, towards enrolling with UB Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership what during that time frame before that why do you feel that you I may be making assumptions here that you didn't need that or or did you feel you needed that and you just did nothing about it yeah I mean I think it's probably a, a pretty noble
1: tweener if you will I mean I think it's there's you try to you try to have a forty-hour week, and anybody running a business knows it's much more than that. Um, and you have a, you know we have a team, as I've already mentioned, that was all creative people, all designers, um, ostensibly all working with clients on projects. Um, so as I think as lame as an excuse um, as it seems now, kind of reflectively. Part of it was just time, you know. That just it just was not the thing that we got to. We were taking care of our clients first, and um, you know, hadn't really taken ourselves on as a client. Um, and I think understanding that when you're working with a client, you're not just creating for them. You're also you know developing strategies that are going to be gainful. Um, we hadn't done that even for ourselves to look at. Yeah, how are we going to build the business? So I think it was it, the focus. Just remained much more on a top line, and you know, are we generating income, and is that feeding, you know, feeding the mouths that need to be fed? And you know, at the end of the day, can we sort of label that successful? And I think that was, you know, a pretty good description of the first decade of our existence: was working really hard, um, putting our clients first, and um, you know, uh, making sure that things balanced out and that we were doing the core things right and I think we did the core things right um, but yeah uh, in terms of putting ourselves on a growth trajectory um, you know and really using financial data to analyze you know more of the the you know shades and tones of the decisions that we were making you know which projects were successful and which approaches were successful um, that's something I think that we're really kind of leaning into for the first time now.
0: Did you when I met you, when I first met you, when you first started at uh, UB Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership, I, uh, there was a part of me that felt that maybe there was this conflict going on within yourself in regards to uh, that you, you couldn't have both the creativeness of what you're building for your client and also profit
1: yeah I I think that the conflict was was maybe even simpler than that. Um, one of the things that I picked up and I don't remember there was something that you said in the talks I think it was something that you know Tom might have said through the CEO program you know don't let your personal relationship with money sort of define your company's relationship with money. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I that, think that, that might have been
0: Tom, Tom yeah, Albrick, by yeah. the way. The uh, right, yeah, I think I assume everybody he's, knows he's Tom. the head of uh, yeah. the Cent- center for entrepreneurial leadership.
1: Yeah, I that was you know, sometimes things that are patently obvious can be revelations, you know, and I think that that was one of those, you know, ideas that, um, I think I was just living a living example of that. Um, money. Was not a priority in starting White Bicycle. Has never been really the the lead. Of course, I you know I wouldn't do any of this if we, if we weren't being paid to do it. Um, it's not like I wake up and say I want to make a brochure. Um, but uh, the priorities were to really make it distinct, to make something that was unique. Try to you know again the way I've described the work in this conversation to this point. Um, and so I think that you know that is one sort of facet of a, you know, just not prioritizing um, the economy of what we were doing. But then I think also, you know, I think that I never particularly felt that I was shrewd with money or, you know, um, understood, you know, economics, you know, uh, particularly well. Um, Also, you know, self-described you know, socialist. (laughs) So, you know, I look at you know, uh, the way that businesses are constructed. And yeah, I think I probably had a block there that just considered those forces a bit at odds with one another. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, uh, I've, I've evolved in that understanding, you know, that there's a responsibility if we want to continue to do even cooler work or even more, uh, meaningful work, um, helping more clients sort of. Really carve their niche and define their brand, yeah, we do need to take care of, of our business. We'll be much more effective and be, have much greater reach and ultimately, you know, be much better off individually when we get that part right. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say it's been a, an evolution. I would not say there was a conflict in thinking we couldn't do both. I think that's probably maybe it's maybe, too, it's maybe too blanket of a statement. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't jump into that. Um I think I understood very well that we could have both. I just feel like maybe started with a lack of interest and understanding and then became sort of a you know a time crunch you know thing it's you know you just i think with businesses generally speaking what I've experienced is if it's if it's working okay if things are going pretty well you don't stop to you know to examine it and pull it apart. Um, Nobody takes apart their car if it's running well. Um, And I think, you know, by one definition, our business is running well. I think that it was more a sense of, okay, if we continue running at this pace and if we continue approaching things in the same way, the second decade of our existence will evaporate as quickly as the first decade. And then where will we be at that point? We didn't have a plan for that. I didn't have a plan for that, so I think the motivation became as much: what's decade two going to actually yield, and you know where will where will White Bicycle be at that point, um, both in my career, but also um, in the careers of those who have become part of this. Excellent.
0: Yeah, that's annoying, huh? It's not too bad.
1: That's, that's I don't think bad. that's ours. That's somebody else in the buildings. The units are right above us. It's always a
0: pain in the ass. What we're talking about right now is the uh, sound of the air conditioning. That's not <laughs> you, you don't this edit, office. You don't edit this at all. This is not. This is we're going. We go. Yeah, straight to straight. straight you to know, the people. we want to keep this authentic. Straight to the people. We want to keep <laughs> right keep to the, the people. It's okay. good. This is how we
1: do it. That's this it. is how we do it. And in very first world way we're complaining
0: about air conditioning we, well you know what that thing that, that brings up uh, the a comment you made about uh, you having some socialists type of slant to you sure what um, can you since you brought it up can you talk a little bit about that like is um, how, I don't think that's I,
1: first of all I don't think that's unique to uh, a relationship with finances or with money. I mean, it's if you look at a lot of the work we do, um, we do a lot of work in the not-for-profit sector, for-profit, but um, we work with uh, a number of foundations. We work with a number of initiatives, um, you know, from Buffalo Promise Neighborhood to um, you know the Tower Foundation. We uh, work in the early childhood space, so I think there is a social consciousness to our work. We've worked with the partnership for public good economic and social justice is just something that's important to me personally and I think um, White Bicycle has grown to have that kind of a a focus. Um, I think the individuals who work here um, are probably all you know uh, make a living not a killing type of people and I think that um, the work we do focuses on trying to make a positive impact on our community and the people in it and especially people who are um, you know, underserved. You know, that's not the sole focus of our work, um, but I think it runs through a lot of the music work that we do as well. Um, so, I, I, I'm more comfortable describing that as, you know, just part of who who what White Bicycle is as a team. For me personally, it might be a, a convenient way to just describe um, a relationship uh, with money, where you know, just the Financial gain was never a priority, mm-hmm. um, but I also think it's it is just a truer philosophy. So I I make no more of it than that. It might be an excuse sometimes for not paying attention to to finances. So yeah, it might be, um, yeah. Uh, and if I gotten to know you, that might have
0: been the devious point of your question. Uh, but yeah, I, well, I like I like the mission that you have yeah. here at White Bike. And, Thank you. Um, and and I and I think that's important, and and sometimes part of the reason why I wanted to bring that up, um, and I'm glad you answered it that way because uh, I get I, I hear that often. Just it may, they may not say uh, socialist, yeah. but but they have the same kind of of thought process and follow through with their business, but. Uh, Especially non for profits, because right. it's almost like a it is almost like a conflict when right. they're right. thinking dollars when they're helping people. But it really comes back to is that no money, no mission, and you're not helping people then if you can't afford to continue the business.
1: Yeah, you know what I would get this is I think it just dawned upon me something that I believe is true about not for profits. And one of the reasons we like working in that space, totally separate of what these organizations do to positively impact our community. And it's a privilege to be able to help them, whether it's through the arts, or whether it's through education, or whether it's through just that social economic justice or just helping people. Um, It's a privilege to be part of that as branders or advertisers for them. Um, But I think that one of the, real joys working with them is a lot of those projects are granted projects and we've always joked here that yeah nothing spends easier and with less anguish than granted money they put a project forward and they have a project to do my advice to anybody listening who is a for-profit company and is planning something in the communications uh, realm whether it's you know evolving your brand or developing a promotional program to almost approach that the way a not-for-profit would approach a grant, we are setting this money aside, and we're going to spend it enthusiastically on the strategies that emerge from that process. Mm. Um, because I think a lot of times uh, for-profit companies clutch that marketing dollar, and you know realize you know I could be spending this on other things. And until you have that commitment, this is what we're doing in this area, and spend it like you have to. Um, I think that's, you know, that's when really great results you know, take place. Um, the finances of a project that's you know, uh, been granted money um, are always much more free, I think, uh, uh, and, and free, spent more freely and more enthusiastically. So the focus is on what are we trying to accomplish here almost entirely. So it's just a, a thought, another, another benefit of working in that, in that sector, something we found that would be pretty stimulating to the process. Excellent. Excellent.
0: So how do, how do numbers now play into all of this for you?
1: Um, well, I, I, I think it'll be interesting to do part two of this in a couple of years, uh, this <clears throat> podcast in a couple of years, because I think we are enthusiastically embarking on a strategic plan for our business that is numbers, you know numbers uh, rooted. Um, that's a relatively new thing for us. Um, the trends of our business are now um, more than a decade old, so we have an un- we've always had an understanding of, you know, the the forces that are driving the business. Um, but for us, it just started with getting more consistent uh, data on the bookkeeping side, better ins and outs in terms of, um, you know, being able to. Uh, you know, track what's happening, you know, week to week or month to month as opposed to quarter to quarter or just year to year. Um, And I think that was, you know, that was, um, again, something that was working well enough and we left alone. We just have challenged that and, you know, um, got a new bookkeeper uh, in the mix. Really, thanks to you again for helping us make those sorts of decisions and connections. Um, So now we just have more command over it. I think the other really big evolutionary step for me was as a business owner, and this is something that we talked about, might even have inspired this conversation. Um, As a business owner, especially when you start as a sole practitioner, you hang a shingle, um, I do think something comes over you where you, you have this belief, okay, I have to wear all the hats now, I have to be responsible for all of the, you know, all of the sort of um, segments or departments, if you will, of the business um, that I may or may not um, be capable of of leading. Um, and so for me, that meant I was the chief point of contact with our bookkeeper, and I was making all of the sort of financial discoveries and decisions. Uh, and not very well, frankly. Not making mistakes, just not paying close enough attention is really what it comes down to. Well, that's
0: a that's a good point, and I, I don't want that to get lost in all of this. Because I see that often too sure why why do you if you really had to think about it why do you why did you feel as owner that you had to to wear all of those hats
1: it starts with it starts with um, you know literally as a, as the only person for the first six months yeah uh, it starts as just a reality I did there wasn't anybody else um, and then when you know you Expand to include somebody who comes right out of design school and is making immediate impacts on the the actual core work We're doing there's it's not really The first evolutionary step for somebody in in that position um, to say oh, yeah Well now you're also gonna start, you know dealing with the bookkeeping and frankly then it was much easier you know with the volume of work we were doing it was just basically managing a checkbook and making sure we were Preparing our taxes properly. There just wasn't enough business there to have it be um, a task. Uh, and as the business grows, you know, and I've already described the business, when you surround yourself with other creative people whose story isn't much different, um, you know, it becomes, you know, a bit of a wizard behind the curtain thing. You just don't want people that you're working with and trusting you to make uh, decisions. Across the board, whether you're really the best person and are very capable of making them or not, you just, you know, you just end up saying you know, it's a bit of a pretend at that point. Yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this, working. You trust people. I think, I think that the revelations along that way have been realizing that there are skill sets amongst our group now, not just in the financial areas either. Uh, really, in some of the sort of operational. Evolutions that we are um, making right now, just in terms of the way we um, process the work that we're doing and attack the you know the schedules that we're keeping. You just have great skill sets. You know, there's things that I am the best, the best of the team to uh, you know to manage or to to lead on. Um, but the the more you, uh, the more I have gotten beyond that notion of oh, I have to do all of this. Um, the easier it has been to recognize skills amongst our team that are really you know um, just leadership quality and that's really been part of it Kyle um, as you know Kyle Morrissey is that guy I've been talking about being part of what we're doing for um, you know the the full almost full 13 years of this uh, white bicycle experiment as I like to call it Um, and he's just, uh, just wired much much differently than I am has a much easier Sort of relationship with the financial uh, uh picture and the things that we're trying to accomplish you know um not just on paper but you know as they translate into you know the day-to-day of what we're doing so um i think it's part hang-up to start start off with yeah i got i got to do this and then it's you know and then it's sort of just you know cr- trying to catch up with what you haven't done um you know that was the bigger issue i think when a few years ago or you know I described it maybe four years ago when I decided hey I want to start paying more attention to this there's a lot of ground to to kind of catch up on um, so mentioned the Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership mentioned the work that you're doing um, that starts to help a team like ours pull down the right steps in the right order first tidy this up then take care of this and then use that to build that so I think it was understanding how to plan as much as having a plan it was you know really I think what the last couple of years have been about
0: and and letting go sounds like uh, releasing a whole, lot, a
1: whole lot of letting go yeah um, I think the I think, I think like anything it's probably like bungee jumping something I've never done I would imagine the hardest thing to do is is you know actually remove contact with bridge <laughs> everything, else, <laughs> everything else sort of takes care of itself yeah um yeah. you know I think that uh, yeah I mean there's a lot of nervousness and a lot of sense of duty that comes along with that too and that's where personal relationship with money becomes you know company relationship with money and to break that you have to I think maybe realize that well somebody's relationship with money is going to be <laughs> defining this um, I suppose that's the only, uh, you know, flaw in Tom Albrecht's notion. Um, I would give somebody the advice: if you have a great relationship with money, then yeah, let that guy's relationship with money <laughs> define the company's relationship with money. Um, I think it, you know, it, o- it only works if it's working. Yeah, well, it would be a really crude translation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now you have monthly
1: financial reports yeah i think i think one of the things that's happened to it it just was a natural um process I, I don't, that's an awkward way of stating it we needed a new bookkeeping solution for all the reasons you need a new bookkeeping solution minus anything that was dishonest drawn toward it was working fine that was really the problem it was working fine but we just didn't know Enough about the what was you know really the financial processing uh, processing of what of our of our business. Changing bookkeepers forced a couple of our team, me and Kyle, forced us to understand and become, you know, actually proficient in being able to, you know, book payables and book receivables and you know to uh, integrate our you know checking account and uh, you know our QuickBooks and to really have. Much more of a working knowledge of that. It really, I don't think that the ground we've gained in the last half of the year, um, I think it was accelerated when we realized, yeah, you know, we just have to get involved in this. It was out of sight, out of mind, really.
0: Yeah, well, the minute I, you
1: start to recognize the daily flow of it, so we not only do we have better monthly financial data that we can share yeah. with somebody like you to kind of help shepherd some some planning decisions, we also have a just a day-to-day understanding of of that when you're looking at it you just and understanding it you are going to pay better attention to it and you're going to actually be able to control it better yeah so it was getting involved part of it and just forcing that issue um but now with the monthly financial data what we've been empowered to do and frankly done much on our own um you know with the guidance that that we've uh, that i've already described um, we've created really projections uh, and started to understand the the trends in our business. And you know, I think um, I now recognize that not only is that a missing piece in terms of the financial side of our business, but it was a missing piece in the sales side of our business. Um, when you are going to develop a you know a sales plan, who are you going to go after? You know, who is the the target audience that fits? this company's profile is the first thing you need to really understand. Otherwise you're just going to be going after more of the work you quote unquote like to do or feel like you do well. Um, now I think we have that third rail of this is the stuff we love to do. This is the stuff we do well, but this is also the stuff
0: that, that feeds our, you know, that feeds our economy. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So just to kind of share some of the steps that, business owners need to take in order to get to the point now, Brian, where you are. The first step is first and foremost, there's a lot of businesses, business owners out there who just have their financial information on an Excel spreadsheet or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, it's just all over the place. And, and the first step is to get your financial information, in some form of an accounting software, like a QuickBooks, right. it's not expensive. But then the second step is to make sure that if you are doing that, that you're setting up a clean chart of accounts. Now, your chart of accounts, in the chart of accounts is, is basically just the list of all of the different... Uh, Uh, line items on your income statement and balance sheet if if you if you say so yeah so no and 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 the reason why i'm saying that is because even your you already had your information on quickbooks but your chart of accounts wasn't completely clean meaning that it's important to have it set up in a way where we clearly have defined Mm -hmm. all of the line items and all of the information is being placed in the right line items most importantly cost of goods sold so that we can have a gross margin so i'm already saying a whole lot of accounting technical stuff that i'm probably losing people on which brings us to the third point i mean third step
1: i I would love to interrupt you but you know because that would have been far over my head six months ago um
0: but i can speak to it but say your third, yeah, so say your then, third point and, and, and I'm, I'm thankful that you, you're already there so that's yeah. great the third step for those who didn't understand that is that it's important at that point in order to get started to hire a bookkeeper mm-hmm. even if it's short term just to get them to get it on the QuickBooks yeah. and set up the chart of accounts correctly at the beginning because I've seen many situations where they don't do that and then it's a disaster because now you're just garbage in, garbage out type sure. of situation. But then just bring that bookkeeper in so that it can be set up properly. you got a nice foundation. And before you know it, it's going to force you to do some of the things that you now are doing. Because I recall when we started a year ago, uh, you struggled with just getting your invoicing in. Right. And, and so you would go any of any of our clients out there who
1: are listening for whatever reason i have no idea why they would be following your podcast but if they they are they are (laughs) they are you make them rock stars if i they would be like yeah that sounds like that sounds like white bicycle um you know we have been getting to the bookkeeping piece of it has been tricky minute as soon as you start to understand um you know the deeper Implications of cash flow and things like that. Well, you change your change your habits pretty quickly. Um, I would love to speak to a couple yeah. Go of those ahead. Things. No, th- those were the points uh, that I wanted to make. Uh, to say we were flying blind would be a gross overstatement. Um, you know, uh, we have worked with a bookkeeper who's done a great job, frankly, um, over you know the last ten years. I would say a few years. A couple, almost almost the entirety of the time we have been white bicycle. Um, I think that what I would say to anybody in a similar situation is that the motivation to work with a bookkeeper was very uh, very simple. We have to pay taxes I know nothing about taxes so we need somebody who can prepare our books get enough data to be able to calculate what we owe and make sure that we Comply with you know our our tax obligations, um, so naturally, we enlisted a bookkeeper who was directly connected with the CPA that was um, preparing our taxes. What I have really come to grasp and understand is while that is very important, um, there's a different psychology to. Um, an accountant preparing taxes and an accountant giving you financial information to help you plan your business. Yeah. um, To help you build and grow your business. That's a very good point. And you know the bookkeeping was done that chart of accounts was being developed with really one you know singular focus. How is this stuff gonna you know um, be presented to you know the tax collectors and how is this stuff going to you know sort of be you know, I think organized in a way that supports um, you know the tax preparation. Also very important, not something you want to you know trifle with or skip. Um, you know, and I think an important piece of it. But the relationship that we had with our bookkeeper was entirely enabling um, the kind of sort of willful ignorance of the role that the data would be playing in charting that next decade of white bicycles. Um, you know, existence and really helping us make some of those decisions. So that would be the encouragement on that point, would be to, to make sure that if you're working with a bookkeeper who is a your tax preparer, um, you know, challenge that person. Come to an understanding of the other side of the financial picture, which is not just making sure that you're cutting off the right chunks to give to the government, but that also you are developing a, you know, a working understanding of the ins and outs of the finances so that you can make better decisions um, and chart a better course. A um, couple things, uh, QuickBooks, we were offline um, in an old version of QuickBooks. Um, and not only was that less accessible to people who might be able to influence the decisions and help to manage things, um, because there was a copy that lived on a, you know, on the one PC we have an entire, entirely Mac environment. Um, but it was also uh, impossible to integrate QuickBooks with our checking account, our credit accounts, and, you know, to have uh, a more integrated, um, you know, a dashboard, if you will, or a more integrated um, accounting picture. Um, I think we learned the cautions that you need to approach when you start to merge those accounts together. Um, because they're smart programs, they try to reconcile <laughs> your you know, transactions across these, these points. We couldn't have done that without um, our, our current bookkeeper, somebody who was at the helm as we merged those, those accounts. So we now have merged our time tracking. Uh, so that's basically internal operations where we're tracking our time um, our checking and credit accounts and are feeding QuickBooks on a daily basis um, and that's powerful that needed to be reconciled it took some time to set up but it means that when we send an invoice it is immediately booked to QuickBooks um, it has automated a process that was being you know it was holding us back frankly we just weren't it was so hard to get that you know that daily data because it relied on being manually booked all of the time, um, so the chore became: let's just make sure we have everything input. Yeah, and, and then and, when everything was input, then you were
0: done. And and how much of a delay was that at one point for your invoicing? Because I remember that being
1: well, it was less invoicing, and it was it was everything. You know, it was I mean, wasn't it wasn't just invoicing. We were invoicing to sustain invoices weren't being booked. Um, so in other words, to, to we were invoicing a client, getting money in, but not not merging that into our financial you know our financial snapshot um, until you know weeks or months after yeah. the transaction. So yeah. we just had a delayed picture of what was going on. Not an inaccurate picture. No, just something you can't make it. Did we have a good month? I don't know. I'll let you know in three months.
0: Which you can make the argument was an inaccurate picture. Um, certainly for that when, particular month at least.
1: Uh, I think currency is a great word because it's used to describe money, but it's also you know, used to describe timeliness. Um, and you know, the currency of our, um, of our economy was, was, was fine on one by one definition but not on the other. If you don't have a current picture, then I don't, don't think you really have any actionable
0: information. Well, I think that's a, that's an important story because this is not uncommon either. This this happens with a lot of I'm business your, owners.
1: I'm taking your word for it. Otherwise, I'm going on
0: record yeah. as just the only guy in Buffalo who doesn't <laughs> have his shit together. Yeah, no, you're 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 one of the many. Yeah. Unlike the fact that you're the only Grammy winner. That's right. In <clears throat> your field. Which
1: yeah, which doesn't it might, it might actually might actually distract you from doing your proper financial diligence uh but yeah uh i i i say that with enthusiasm i think the first i think i'll just speak candidly i think that's why i wanted to participate in this conversation because i think there were some personal uh evolutions that were needed to happen too um i do think that there is if you go back to that Comment about feeling that I had to be wearing these hats and being good at those things. I think that One of the things that probably keeps a lot of people um, certainly was a factor for me from just Embracing the financial part of the business was it what do you, what am I going to find out that I made a lot of mistakes or that That we're not as healthy a company as I as I thought we were or you know that I should, I could have made a lot more money if I had done it this way. I think sometimes it's just the fear of the unknown that keeps you from, you know, embracing some things. For me personally, I found that with every step towards a clearer, more current picture, um, it has been a freeing experience and not a, you know, not a fearful experience or, you know, anything where you just feel like you're now you know, flying without a net or exposed in some way. And and I'm not sure if that's common or that's that's, personal. That's that's. I think you just sort of say, oh, you know, it's almost like, you know, it's like a bit of a hornet's nest. Are we going to deal with this or are we just going to leave it? You know what I mean? If we deal with it, we might get stung. If we leave it, you're probably going to get stung about 35 times, (laughs) you know? So I think you just have to get in there and, and, and deal with it. Um, I mean, the, if there's a problem, it will only grow. And if there are no problems, then you're just, you know, removing your, your power to make some really good decisions and make make a good thing even better. I think we fit more in, the, more in the latter category. I almost want to rush in. I know you want to ask a question, but I would rush in to say, all of this was motivated by a sense that we have opportunities that we're not availing ourselves of, that we've earned a moment as a business to and that we've postured ourselves to grow but that we couldn't grow unless we took on this part of this part of the challenge mm. and really to start with the numbers the black and white part of it um, we had to a point you know worked on just making sure we were the type of brand, uh, the type of operation the type of creative collaborator that we envisioned for White Bicycle um, and I think until we took on the business side of it, I don't think I think we believed and I and I believe more than ever now we won't be able to avail ourselves of the fuller opportunities.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, thank you for that. That's uh, that's well said. Thanks. And and I think uh, a lot of business owners hopefully they'll they'll rewind that and listen to that again because yeah. it's it's very important do you what you're extra? There.
1: Do you get an extra nickel every time they rewind oh, yeah. it and listen to it?
0: <laughs> no, yeah, no. This is all free. Yeah. Um the the point about financials that I think it's lost in all of this with business owners is that it, it understanding your financials has less to do with understanding the history of what has happened in your business and far more to do with predicting the future. And I think that's what you're beginning to discover because what was exciting about, we had a meeting yesterday with the team right. and the st- strategic planning meeting, and that was the first time that now we're starting to get far deeper in discussion about uh, just the business beyond revenue or profit. Now we're talking about utilizing labor more efficiently and just digging deeper because now you have numbers in place that allows us to have those conversations. And that's where all the value is. That's where right. you're going to increase your profits and, and do it in a way where it's not going to affect your mission. I, I,
1: I would only add a, just a touch of nuance to the point that you made there. And you you said that you know it's not just understanding where we've been. Or understanding historically those numbers it's being able to predict the future and I agree with that the only thing I would add to it and I know why somebody sitting in your position relative to white bicycle would say it exactly that way I think you're right but for business owners for business operators it's about what are you gonna do differently it's not just predicting the future but it's how are we gonna change our behaviors to influence the future how are we gonna actually make the future what we intended to be for this business. And I mean, that was it. I think when you say we don't have a plan, um, the translation of that is, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to invest my time in to make the greatest impact. I don't know how to delegate some of these leadership or authorities to, you know, to the people around me who are, in most cases, can be maybe more capable than I am to to do the thing that needs to get done. How do you make that assignment? Like, what should I tell that person who has the capability of doing so many things to do to influence the future? You have to understand where you want it to go and, and to be able to predict the future, and then you act on it. I think that, to me, is the empowering part as a business leader. I'm now starting to see just really simple translations of, Hey, here is, you know, maybe what the future will look like or could look like. I have a good idea of what we should do right now to
0: influence that. Wow, Brian, Grammy winner, <laughs> owner of White Bicycle. Thank you very much. Are there any last comments that you want to add to this? I've talked plenty. I want to thank you for having me on it, and
1: also, um, you know, again, I think the work that we're doing together. Um, it's not, it's not big R rev- revolutionary. It's really small R revelationary. It's this mm. notion that you just sort of see things in a in a, in a enough of a, a new light to you know to embrace them a little bit differently. So that would be my encouragement. Is why I was so enthusiastic to do this, um, because um, you know it, it is an exciting moment in any business. I would imagine when you start to. You know um, crystallize a, a, a vision for the future and a plan to get there so um, if somebody listening to this can you know can um, draft that enthusiasm I would encourage them to you know to um, look at their business in that way
0: small tweaks that's all it's gonna See, be is small, small tweaks small and that's gonna improve profitability yeah. and move you forward amen very thanks. good appreciate it all right Brian thanks again take care And we're, we're shaking Maybe that's right <laughs>